Hi, this is Viv and you're listening to the new episode of If I Did, You Can Too. The guest that I have for you guys today has such a crazy story. To be honest, I have not heard, I mean, the craziest story I've heard or seen so far, they've all been in movies, but the one that I heard from the guest today tops all of them. I decided to bring her on the show so that you guys can hear her story from her. What are you waiting for? Let's get inspired. Okay, so we're back here with yet another episode and another guest. This time I have one of the craziest stories out there. Jeanette is right here to share her story with us. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you, Viv. Thank you so much for providing this space for people to share their stories. And I really appreciate um, the relatability and connection that comes with people sharing their stories. So super grateful for you and this space. So yeah, so my name is Jeanette and I was born in New York. Um, I consider myself a New York Texan, which is totally the opposite of each other. But those are the two places that I really spent a lot of uh, time in. And um, yeah, my, my, my childhood, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that we do. It's like my childhood wasn't so bad compared to some other people. And I do that a lot too whenever I kind of feel uh, sad or traumatized by my past, I think, well, I, this didn't happen to me and I wasn't, you know, trafficked and I, you know, all these things. And I have to keep telling myself that it's okay. And, you know, my feelings are valid and that, you know, everybody um, feels the same pain in different situations. And so connecting with my childhood and like really understanding uh, the root of, of a lot of the, the, the pain and the, and the trauma has really helped me to like blossom as an adult and it's a huge relief for humanity that, you know, whatever happened in your past doesn't define you and there's ways to work through it. And I'm a bit of a living testament to that. So, yeah, I think the first traumatic thing that happened to me, as I recall, was was uh, my parents' big fight when I was four years old when they got divorced. And uh, I remember them fighting and I was in my room as this little four-year-old girl. And I, I believe that was the first time I remember being really sad and um, so my parents divorced and my mom, who is from the Dominican Republic, grew up with a lot of uh, violent discipline. It's super common over there. It's actually not really considered abuse. Um, it is, but it's just viewed differently. And so she grew up just getting, you know, all kinds of beatings from her father. And it was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, she's also a little bit darker. So she unfortunately suffered from... Uh, her own father being racist towards her. So she had a lot of built up um, anger. And so when she raised me, this is how she knew how to discipline. So she was, she was the best that she could be, but she was very, um, she was very violent and short tempered. She was also very young. She had me when she was 19. So she was a baby. So I pretty much grew up with violence and anger and didn't really know anything but to be short-tempered and angry. Uh, my first physical fight was when I was in the fifth grade, which I think is like 10, 10 years old. <laughs> That's when I got into my first fight. And my last fight was when I was 29. And, uh, that's a lot of years of violence. I'm talking like bar fights, crazy fights, mostly against people touching me or my friends, but I would definitely react very explosively. There was just a lot of anger inside me. And I, there was a part of me that knew 
that this wasn't the way that I wanted to be and that it didn't feel right. And I was just curious to understand more deeply, not only myself, but my past and the people around me. And so I think my first jump into the curiosity of the mind and my personal development was choosing uh, psychology as my degree in college. So that, that was kind of like a intellectual way of understanding a lot of the abnormal psychology that was coming from um, my family and, and the kind of toxic dynamic. And it helped me have a lot more understanding of, of why things happened, but it didn't heal me. It was just like, it's almost like somebody saying to you, like, love yourself but you not knowing at all what that means or how to do it. So I had this information um, and it really wasn't enough because I was still very angry and very self-destructive. So the majority of my 20s, well, it was kind of split between finishing college, working, partying, traveling, and just doing a lot of drugs. And later in life, and, and of course, drinking a lot of, of alcohol, and I realized some po at some point in my late 20s that I was seeking two things when I was um, taking substances or going out. And one of them was to disconnect, to forget, to numb, to not feel. And the other one was to have a higher connection. So maybe this cocaine or this ecstasy is going to take me to such a higher altered state of consciousness that I will reach a level or feel better than how I feel now. So it was kind of this like duality of letting go, disconnecting, and then trying somehow to connect to something. But obviously, you know, ecstasy is not the way to um, enlightenment. So I have to say the my life is kind of split into two parts. The first part is before I tried ayahuasca. And then the second part is after I tried ayahuasca. It's like my life before and my life after. And uh, it's almost like something in me just got completely resolved with that because I had been to therapists since I was young. I mean, I used to self-harm when I was little and, you know, there's the psychology, there's the therapist. And then as I got older, I was attending like weekend and week-long workshops on personal development and reading books and of course, I saw The Secret and What the Bleep Do We Know? And that really opened my mind, you know, when it came out all these years ago to, to all these other possibilities and just the power of the mind. And I think once I started realizing these, you know, secrets, so to speak, I realized that I my destiny is not ordained. It's not written. Like I can have some sort of control over that. So I tried all these different things in the books and the workshops and the courses and, um, Really the thing that had the biggest impact on me, I also tried religion and yoga and breath work, which are all amazing. But um, the thing that really worked for me was plant medicine uh, because, well, many reasons, but one of the main reasons is because when you feel something really hard or scary or difficult coming up, it's really easy to try to switch out of it. Like I feel a panic attack coming on. Let me take a Xanax or I'm really stressed out. I need a bottle of wine or I'm really upset. Let's go dancing. You know, you're just like not going to that place that's screaming at you. And so when you're in a ceremony with this plant medicine, which perhaps I should say one minute of, of what it is. Uh, but when you're in this space with this plant medicine, you cannot run like you, 
you have to go through this. And, and I've seen it in people. I felt it in myself. Sometimes you're like, I want this to stop. I don't want to feel like this anymore, but, but you, you can't just opt out. You have to see it through. And that's when I first started seeing the complete, um, cycle of my emotions and feelings, what it really feels like to go through it, to process it, to feel it, to let it out. And then what's on the other side of that relief, release, peace, uh, acceptance, you know, all these things. And so it was basically my way of working through my shit and trying to understand, um, why I was the way I was, why I was so angry, why I was depressed all the time. I mean, I've been depressed. Like I said, the first time I remember being sad was when I was four. And throughout my childhood, there was a lot more sadness. And as an adult, I've had some really, really difficult depression. And uh, I've managed to stay away from pharmaceuticals, nothing against them. I think they work well for some people, but I just really didn't want to, I don't know, kind of disassociate so much. I really wanted to find a way to feel it and work through it. Um, should, should I say really quick what ayahuasca is just for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Ayahuasca is, um, it's, a, it's a powerful psychedelic plant medicine that originates from the Amazon jungle. People have been taking it for thousands of years. It's not a trip. It's not fun. It's not a journey. Uh, it's, it's not something you would want to do with your friends casually on a Saturday night. It's like deep emotional, spiritual, physical, psychological, mental work. And um, it's safe. However, it's only legal in a couple of countries like Peru and Costa Rica. So, um, but it but it does go on all around the world. And basically, what it does is it the main uh, psychoactive component that's uh, related to ayahuasca is DMT, dimethyltryptamine, and that's something that we naturally produce in our pineal glands um, as humans. Plants produce it, animals produce it. So it's not like a foreign substance. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 there's these brain scans. There's so many studies that show what psilocybin, which is mushrooms or ayahuasca or mescaline, how the different areas of the brain light up at the same time, which is something that you really don't see. Usually it's one part of the brain or a couple parts, but not like the whole brain. So there's literally this feeling of oneness and connection and your ego and your conditioning and your programming and your definitions and your labels and your identity, those things kind of fall to the side. And that allows you to be in the presence of what is really true, what is really true, which is love, which is the I am. And so you just kind of start like melting away these things like, oh, I thought I was an angry, uh, hopeless, you know, whatever, but that's not true. And so I literally haven't been in a physical altercation in like eight years, haven't even come close to it. It's amazing how that was so present in my life almost every other week or something. And then all of a sudden it's completely gone. Like there was a huge shift that manifested into my physical reality. And, um, you know, people ask me, how has ayahuasca helped me? And the truth is there's so many different ways, but that one way is like the most clearly definable way that I can share and show people because it's also helped me <laughs> literally every other aspect of my life. Um, so, so that, that for me was, was, uh, the beginning and the end, it was the beginning of the new me really finding myself. And it was just kind of like, um, almost like a death of the ego, you know, and, Oh, I absolutely am so grateful for, for the opportunity to be able to have done that. And, um, it's, it's a process, right? Like, it's not like you just do it a few times and then you're, you're done. I've, I've done it, um, more than most people would 
find um, acceptable, <laughs> which is like 125 times. But I mean, I know people who've done it thousands of times and some of them are some of the greatest people I've ever met. And some of them are honestly the worst people. So it doesn't really make you a better person. It just takes what you have deep inside you and it magnifies it. If you're such an amazing, dear, deeply spiritual, loving person, that is going to just like shine through 50 times. So, so that for me was, was, um, the beginning of a new life because in my twenties, it was like this kind of you know, I modeled for 10 years. So it was like models and bottles and champagne and cocaine and like private jets and yachts and like Vegas trips and all this illusory material, meaningless things that at the time seemed like they meant something. And, um, I've worked in the corporate world, uh, for, for, for huge companies and, um, experienced that culture, which I find to be super toxic for the most part and very soul draining. Um, and, and, and you have to be so masculine that as a woman, it just tires your soul to be so masculine all the time. And I've lived the hippie life, you know, just living in the mountains in the sacred Valley of Peru, um, just walking around barefoot everywhere, not really wearing makeup, you know, just like, all these things like makeup and hair and making sure you don't have any stubble in your armpit or your legs, all those things kind of just really didn't matter as much. Um, so it was a lot of, of freedom and simplicity and nature and singing those like kumbaya medicine songs and, you know, just hanging out with, with people who are just not concerned with what you look like and how much money you make and what you do for a living and how can you benefit them? You know, they just want to know like your soul and your heart. And so, so yeah, I've, I've, I feel like I've lived a few um, different lives. And at this point, I feel like finally everything is starting to come together for me in a way that, you know, working for Mind Valley, for example, it's the most it's the healthiest company culture that I've ever seen. I've never seen a company that's so inclusive, so diverse, and you have such respect uh, from, from the CEO. Um, so I really, really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I moved out here to Estonia for that, which is my fifth country <laughs> that I've moved to. So Mexico, Dominican Republic, States, Peru, and uh, Estonia. And um, yeah, I... If it's okay, I'd, I'd like to just circle back to another um, aspect of the ayahuasca that that really helped me shift some things. Um, one of them is is uh, I decided I, I, I was able to realize and see that I was attracting. This was maybe like eight years ago, seven, six or seven years ago. I was starting to see that I was attracting men who were just not good for me. They were different. This wasn't like the same kind of guy, but they all shared this same kind of, I don't know, like emotional and unavailability or kind of lack of respect. And so I said, you know what? I am, I I'm seeing that the common denominator is me. So I just need to cut off dating completely for a while. And that while ended up being three years of like no contact at all, no dating, nothing. And in those three years, I was able to like, oh my gosh, blossom in a way that I couldn't even have imagined. And within those three years, there was one year where I didn't touch alcohol. And the reason that that's relevant is because alcohol is always a way to celebrate or to commiserate. It's all, there's always an excuse to have a glass of wine. And, and so completely eliminating that from my life 
made it so that I would have to feel everything, feel everything and alone with myself, right? Which isn't really alone, but I can't, I can't turn to the bottle. I just have to sit there and let it just run through me and just cry and let it out. And it helped me realize how strong I am. And it helped me realize what kind of relationship that I want. It helped me get to know myself deeper. Um, I did some shamanic practices with like yoni eggs. And I know that's, that's a little out there for some people, but you know, just different types of cleansing, energetic and physical. And so, um, after the three years of celibacy, I was living in Peru and, uh, I decided, okay, I'm done with celibacy. I want to ask the universe for my guy. I want my soulmate. I'm ready for my husband. I've done all this work. Surely he's just right around the corner. And then bam, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I'm going to get out there and meet people. And then all of a sudden, wear your mask, stay at home. Nobody's allowed out. And uh, it was funny because Peru did this thing where they would only let women out on a certain day and then men out on a certain day. So, like, you couldn't even <laughs> bump into a guy at the market, wow. which I, that was very strange, strange way to deal with the with the pandemic. I know they tried their best, but yeah. So then I had to leave Peru to come back to the States because I was running out of money. I didn't have a job there anymore. All the plans that I had were just kaput, just like millions of other people around the world. And um I felt really stuck in Dallas. I felt super stuck. I felt super lonely. Um, I was staying with two of my best friends that are really amazing people. So I did have some good like family company around, but I just, I couldn't imagine going back to the corporate world. I couldn't imagine working under fluorescent lights in a cubicle with some sexist guy staring down at my shirt, telling me that I'm five minutes late, you know, for something. I just, the power trips and the ego and the dog eat dog, brutal freaking bloodbath that is corporate America. I just thought I literally would rather die than, than do that again. I don't know how I'm going to find my place again in Dallas when I felt so at home in Peru. And uh, out of nowhere, a friend of mine said, uh, she's a beautiful artist. She was a Playboy cover model. She lives in California and throws parties for like P. Diddy. And so she's, she's very unique, beautiful, yet spiritual person. And we were talking about ayahuasca one day and uh, she sent me a message on Instagram and was like, I really think you need to meet my friend Vision. And I was like, Vision Lakiani? She's like, yeah, you know about him? I was like, uh, fuck yeah, since like 2012, you know, I've been uh, following Mind Valley. Of course I know him. So that was really exciting. And I got to connect with Vision and he found that my like psychology and sales and plant medicine background kind of made for like um, an alignment with the Mind Valley. Uh, person he he was looking for and so he said but you'd have to move to Estonia and I was like Estonia hang on one second let me just type up in Google what's Estonia <laughs> I have no freaking idea I'm I'm not even I'm kind of embarrassed to say that but I find that a lot of people don't know what Estonia is so I googled it and everything checked out and I was like you know what I do need a big change I'm not really sure which direction I'm gonna go in so let's go to Estonia. <laughs> so um, came here in January and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to meet like Vikings or something, you know, like this is, this is the place where I'm going to meet my guy for sure. And I, I've watched all the Viking shows and they're super hot. <laughs> and then I get here and I'm like, oh my God, this is, first of all, there's like a gazillion more women than men. And second of all, they're literally supermodels and, and the guys, some of them are cute, but they're just sort of regular guys who have like a pool of endless models 
to date. So I was like, oh shit, did I just like screw myself over as far as the dating life? But you know, at least I love Mind Valley. So, and this is a beautiful country and people are nice. And I was getting pretty hopeless there for a while. Uh, I had Tinder. I swiped through at least 6,000 guys, went on one date with an American and like that, that didn't really match anything. And I did a couple of uh, healing sessions with an authenticity coach where we went through like these different emotions and he helped me remove the hold on, hold, la quote unquote layers of the heart wall. And that sounds super woo woo, I know, but you know, I'm, I'm willing to try anything. And, um, it felt like there were some shifts happening in there. And then literally, I don't know, two, three weeks later, I mean, this is another story, so I'll make it short, but this guy, runs after me and basically just, I don't know, basically said that, you know, he would like to hang out with me and that he likes me. And so we're in love now and I cannot believe how this guy embodies everything that I have asked for, everything that I've waited for, everything that I didn't lower my standards for. And I just like, everything is kind of starting to make sense now. And I feel like all this work that I've done isn't for nothing. And I knew it was because I trust the universe, but there were so many hopeless moments where I really just felt like giving up. And um, yeah, it was pretty soon after the point of me just literally kind of giving up and letting go that this man showed up in my life. And um, I haven't experienced any kind of dynamic like this. And it's such a good reinforcement as to, yeah, girl, you didn't lower your standards. Yeah, you waited. You knew that guy had this and this, but he didn't have this and you didn't connect emotionally or he had everything, but you didn't connect spiritually or he had everything and you didn't connect, connect sexually. And so I'm at this point, I'm 37, you know, I'm like, okay, shit. Well, I mean, time's, you know, flying by. And so, um, I'm just so grateful that I didn't lower my standards and I didn't give up on the possibility. And, uh, I did put myself out there going places, socializing, you know, and it's not like I sat at home and he just showed up at my door. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty in awe right now at where I am in my life. It really seems like things are starting to come together and I cannot freaking believe it. It's almost like I have this identity of like being alone or just always some really big shit missing in my life. And now that it's coming together, it's like, wait, this is also me. This is me, you know? And so, yeah, that's kind of um, where I'm at right now. Throughout this whole time that you were telling your story, there was this part. I mean, it wasn't really clear what happened that got you from that dark place to starting to learn all about personal growth and going towards this path. Uh, of spirituality so what was that moment what was that pivotal moment for you what happened to you that in a second you were like you know what fuck this I am going to change everything I'm going to be better yeah I mean I've hit so many lows in my life with um with with alcohol with drugs with relationships with violence with uh um so many things that sometimes when you and I don't recommend this way, you know, Vishen talks about Kensho and Satori learning through pain or learning through uh, wisdom. 
I've learned a lot through pain. And every time you reach such a low, it's like you can only go up and there's this new inspiration and just try this new thing and don't give up. And I, I have searched through all these different modalities of spirituality and healing. And um, I tried yoga for a while and it felt really great, but it just, it wasn't the tool for me. Um, but I have been very close to giving up a lot. Like the depression has led to um, a couple of, even when I, before, when I was a teenager, attempts in suicide and as an adult, just, just, you know, and so there comes a point where you're like, okay, I'm either going to take my life or I'm going to try my best to improve my life right now. Because if I'm going, if I'm not going to take my life and I'm going to sit here and complain about everything, then I might as well just take my life. So I'm going to do the best that I can try to be optimistic. Of course, after giving myself the space to cry and be depressed and be miserable and sitting with those feelings too, because they deserve a place and acknowledgement not to be avoided or denied or shoved down or ignored. And so um, I think I just got sick and tired of being depressed and feeling alone and going through these waves like of, you know, oh, I'm on a trip. I'm with friends. I feel so great. And then I come home and I just feel like, crap, just horrible. And then I go meet my friends the next day and I love them and everything is great. And I saw a puppy and I pet the puppy and then I come home and it's like, you know, and there's, there's the three years of celibacy that I did was really important for me because before I did that, I couldn't be alone. I couldn't be alone. I always had a boyfriend or I would always have friends over or I'd have a roommate. I just could not face myself or be alone. And so forcing myself to be alone and forcing myself, not forcing, but choosing to not drink alcohol, choosing to be alone made me really good friends with myself. And then it came a point all these years ago when I was doing this conscious celibacy that I would be out with friends and I was so excited to go home because I got to sit in my little meditation spot with, with, you know, read some books or listen to some music or do some ecstatic dance or do any other kind of like singing practices that I had. And so, so I was able to really get to know myself. So then on the other side of that, when I was coming home and feeling lonely, I knew that it wasn't because I wasn't happy being alone because I know that I'm happy being alone. I have books, I have courses, I have friends that I can talk to. I have literally a million things like boredom is not a possibility for my life. It's just not an option. There's no way. But loneliness was what was hurting me. And I've always been this, like my mom, you know, she was just a strong woman and we don't need anybody and we don't need men. And I left your dad and, you know, and, and, and I was the only female on the gymnastics team in my, in my, all this like super masculine femininity, you know? So I grew up thinking like, I don't need a man. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. And that was also part of my identity that I had to face because that's not true. I need people. I need people. Um, I don't want to do anything alone. I need help sometimes. And admitting that I was lonely and that I wanted somebody was something to overcome from my ego because I felt like if I need somebody, I'm not strong enough or something like that. But that's not true. 
because really we're better together and it is okay to be alone, but it's okay to want somebody in, in your life, not necessarily romantic, but just connection. And so I have so many great friends all over the world. I, my social life, my friends connection is not lacking. The only thing that was lacking was the connection with somebody. And, um, and I definitely, once I kind of realized I do want somebody, I do need somebody. And I was telling my friends, Hey, if you know, a really kind, awesome, <laughs> tall guy who's single, let me know, you know, actually putting it out there. No shame. Um, not trying to act all cool. Like, yeah, whatever. I'm good. No, don't set me up. No, you know, like just being a little bit more humble with that and putting aside the ego opens up the heart space. And with that space, you can invite something that you're looking for. Um, but circling back, I hope it's okay if I kind of uh, change topic because uh, the question that you asked, um, you know, when my parents got divorced, they would both tell me that the other one doesn't love me for years. Like from the moment they got divorced, my mom would say, your dad left us. He left me for another woman. He cheated on me. He doesn't love you. And then my dad would say, your mom doesn't love me. So I grew up hearing all these super negative beliefs and they would literally use me against each other for like court cases and record me saying stuff as like a six year old. This is mostly my, my dad's wife, not, not my mom didn't do that. My dad and his wife did that. And, you know, that's really abusive. And I didn't understand that until I was much older. And then I had to work through feelings of not being loved, feelings of unworthiness. Um, my unworthiness showed up as self-sabotage throughout many stages of my life. So when I was a, a, a child or a young adult, I would cut myself or I was a, 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 I was a big thief, like from the age of 10, until I became an adult, literally like 19 years old. I, I stole not from people ever because somehow I still had a conscious there and a face, but big department stores and things like that. I would just, I mean, you name it, I, I, I would take it. And um, I realized later in life that was because of my low self-worth because I didn't think that I was worth purchasing those things or whatever those things were valued at. I just wasn't worth it. And so working through my own self-worth, I was able to realize and tell myself, I deserve this. I deserve this. I'm worth it. Um, and uh, just so many little snippets like this tied to each experience that I had as a child and what it really meant as an adult and working working through that. Um, yeah. I don't know if that kind of answered your question or kinda, not. Kind of, did. So the the one thing that I want to know is how did you put yourself out of whatever darkness you were in every single time mm. you fell? Because yeah. you said you hit rock bottom so many times. Mm -hmm. How did you get back on track? Because it's not easy to do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because part of me wants to say, like, am I on track? Am I on track? You know, like, I don't <laughs> even know. But I think all of these tools that I've acquired over the years have been so helpful to me. All these different tools, whether it's meditation, breath work, my deep connections with my friends that I can call and cry to, reading a book, dancing in my apartment, um, you know, even... Uh, even reading a part of the Bible or praying, 
Um, I'm not a religious person, but I do believe in God and I believe in a greater power. And so reaching out to whatever the higher source spirit for, for each person is, um, I had to really draw deeply from these tools. And, you know, my last really, really dark place was actually only five months ago. <laughs> like I had such a low five months ago that I honestly almost didn't make it out of there. I was making plans for very dark things. And um, yeah, in this specific case, it was uh, my life coach, uh, Lucien, <laughs> you might know. She was really there for me in a moment of, of darkness. And, um, you know, I don't pray very often, but she really channeled in Jesus for me in that moment. And Jesus is something I hadn't really thought of in a long time. And, um, in that moment, that really, really was what I needed. And, and, uh, and that helped me, but in other moments, it's different things, you know, it's, it's a different tool. Sometimes it's going out into nature with someone that you love and just like singing some songs and, you know, just sharing with each other. But the, the, the antidote to, um, this despair is really not allowing yourself to identify with the thoughts and the feelings that are coming. So for me, for example, all these super mean, horrible thoughts that like, I would never say to anybody would come through, like, you're old, you're a loser, you, you have no purpose in life, you know, and, and, um, all these like really awful, mean, untrue things that somehow in a moment of super weakness, I believed, I believe they were all true. I, I really thought I was just a total loser. I thought I was never going to, I was always going to be alone and, you know, I'm this age and I, what have I accomplished, you know, and just like super self-deprecating. Uh, and so since I identified with these thoughts, I was, I was tired. I had recently like gone out partying with friends. So we had a bunch of drinks. So I was already like in this, um, energy of, uh, you know, not hangover, but just, yeah, I guess you could say hangover, which is really bad for your self-esteem if you're feeling depressed or shitty. And, um, I just, I was just so weak that I myself couldn't help myself. So I needed help. And Lucian helped me. And, you know, we cried together. I called some other friends. They were there for me. And I had this moment in my sadness and my just absolute despair where I just remember thinking, I feel so much empathy and love for all the people out there that are going through what I'm going through right now, but they don't have tools. They don't know anything about meditation or personal growth or spirituality or religion or yoga or whatever it is that works for different people. And I just felt so sad knowing how easily someone like me, who's done all these ceremonies and done all this work and da, 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 like easy for me to just completely lose myself and never be able to come back. And so that's why it's just, it's so important for people to keep trying you know, it's not like you try personal growth or, you know, reading these books and all these things so that you can be uh, protected against uh, bad things in life. No, it's so that when these bad things in life happen, you can be equipped to deal with them. And so 
I literally owe my life to various aspects of spirituality and personal growth. They've all had a little piece in me, a little a piece of the secret, the movie is in me, a little piece, a big piece of the ayahuasca is in me, a piece of some personal growth courses and books that I've read and teachings that I've learned from shamans and gurus and stuff like that. You know, it's like it forms this puzzle, which gives me the possibility of sustaining my emotional life, my physical life, my spiritual life, my mental life, and not completely losing my shit. Especially now, everything is so crazy, you know, and just like stepping outside of ourselves for a moment and think about the suffering and just the fear and all this stuff. Like, I just, I really wish for people to understand that there are tools that can help. And yeah. That's that's pretty big important piece for me that I want to like somehow figure out how to get out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you were telling me your story before, I mean before this podcast even, you were telling me how anger was the f- the most common emotion for you, the most used emotion for you. But then you realize that behind that anger, there was so many other things, so many fears and other things. How did you get through that? How did you? let go of that anger and then transformed it, changed it into the calm and Zen person that you really are really. Because <laughs> whoever I talk to about Jeanette, you guys, everyone is like, oh my gosh, she's so calm and so nice and so relaxing all the time. And then the one of the first deep, deep talks that I had with her, she was like, I was such an angry person. I was like, huh, what, where? I don't see anything. How how does this whole transition happen? Oh, that's a really great question. You know, anger anger is such an effective self-protection emotion. It is just first of all we learn it as children, right? We see it in our parents and like I learned I I can't tell you where. I learned that anger is a secondary emotion. And that was really revelatory for me because I was like, "What? You mean there's stuff behind anger. I'm not just angry. And then I learned that it's either fear and or sadness that are behind anger, but anger protects us. It's easier to shout than to cry. It's easier to shout than to admit that you're scared, Um, especially for men, right? Like men uh, display anger a lot more frequently than women because women are more comfortable uh, showing their emotions and their fear and their sadness. So I learned, and this this was a huge thing with the ayahuasca, ayahuasca helped me realize why I was so angry. And it was because I was so sad and I was so scared. I was sad for my inner child and all of these things that she went through. I, I just, I couldn't even before, not now, I couldn't even imagine my own inner child without crying immediately because I just felt so bad for her. Like I just wanted to hold her and tell her that she's safe and that everything is okay. And I just, oh my God, just the thought of it is, it's like, gives me chills how, how sad that thought is. And then of course, I'm afraid for the future. Am I going to matter? Am I going to be alone forever? Am I going to make it? Am I, you know, like all these things to be afraid of. And so I literally somehow working through all these different ceremonies, just worked through the layers of my ego. I'm angry at my mom. I'm angry at my dad. I'm angry that they said these things, that they did these things. I'm angry at myself for all these things that I did in my youth and how I've treated uh, some people. You know, when I was younger, I I was unkind to some of my partners uh, with with like rage, jealous, anger, fits of alcohol, and just super unreasonable 
um, abuse essentially that I committed against them. And so there's just a lot of shame and guilt. And it was a lot easier to avoid all of those shame, guilt, fear, and sadness, and just be angry. So that was really like, you know, especially when you're drinking, you're like, yeah, anybody messes with me, I'll just punch you in the fucking face, you know? And so behind this angry warrior, there is a sad little girl who is scared. And so just kind of going to her and realizing and working through all these things, I feel like I still have this warrior who's there. If something goes down, I'm not going to like wither and cower and freeze. You know, I've got like a fight in me for sure, but she is in the backseat and she's got her seatbelt on and she's taking a nap. You know what I mean? Like there, there, that does not drive me or control me anymore. And I have so much patience and, you know, another little tool that I mentioned reading, right? One of the books that changed my life um, was the four agreements. When he says, Don Miguel Ruiz says, don't take things personally. I used to be an angry driver. I would be on the road. Somebody would cut me off and it's like, oh man, I would honk, give them the finger and cuss at them, which in Texas, by the way, can get you shot. So it's really, really stupid um, behavior. And then when I read that, I, I realized like, this person either maybe didn't even realize that they cut me off. Maybe they're so stressed out and they're super late that they're just rushing. Maybe they're having a horrible day. Maybe they are a jerk and they cut me off on purpose. So what? It's not me that they cut off. It's a random car. It's not personal. And so I was even able, I noticed such a shift when I was driving, you know, like I just wasn't angry anymore. It just, it just went away. And I know so many people who are super angry drivers and I just kind of want to just tell them, you know, read this book because the reason we get so angry on the road is because we take things personally, you know? So the combination of like working through my anger and my eager uh, ego with ayahuasca and then reading, you know, this chapter in this book combined, it was like, I felt this sense of freedom and lightness in letting go of the anger and saying, all right, big guy, you want to cut me off? You go right ahead. Have a good day, you know, instead of just like raging. And so that's just one example um, of, of how transformative it is when you really do the work and just cut through certain layers of things. I, I don't remember the last time that I got angry, honestly, like that. Yeah. Wasn't it getting angry at... Um family members or relatives because that really happens a lot <laughs> have you heard the saying if you think you're enlightened uh tell me after you've had uh, christmas with your family or something like that you know <laughs> <laughs> like your family is such a big deep deep trigger the root the deepest roots from the farthest back of your existence when we were such impressionable children and being programmed by them it's like Oh, it's, it's so tough. My mom was by far my greatest trigger. I mean, she could just look at me and I would just lose it, you know? And that is another aspect of myself that I've been able to transform because now I just say, mom, I, I don't want to talk about that. Or I just say, okay, okay, mom. Yep. Trump is, is sent from Jesus. That's, that's, um, thank you for sharing that mom. You know, like instead of just what the hell's wrong with you, this guy did this and he did this and how could you, you know, just, nope, it's, it's pointless. I don't always have to show people things. I don't have to teach people things because I think I know better. 
I, I, I might not know better. And sometimes people don't want to hear it and it's not the place. It's not the time. So like learning to just shut up and let things go was a huge relief for me. And it helped me um, have a bit of a closer relationship with my mom, which is still a work in progress. You know, my dad, my dad and I, uh, he, he's not speaking to me because of Trump. It's so crazy to think that in this world, some something like that could come between family, but that's sadly the case. But um, I think in the past, you know, my relationship with my dad would have had a much bigger effect on me, but I've been doing work in like loving him and forgiving him and sending him love instead of holding resentment towards him, even though I am sad that we're not talking and I, I am disturbed that something like that orange thing could come between a father and daughter. But, you know, it's, it is what it is and I can't change it at the moment. I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe I could put more effort into it. I put, I put some effort into it, but I'm just kind of letting it be. But I'm focusing on what I can affect right now, which is my relationship with my mom, my relationship with my friends, my relationship with myself, my job, my coworkers, the plants in my house, you know. And um, recently my my soulmate, which is how I'm seeing it. I feel really confident about that. I hope my intuition is right, but that's that's where I'm at right now with that. So, so yeah, I mean, the anger, whether it's there or whether it's not, is something that affects all your relationships with yourself, with the people around you, with your job, with everything. So overall, I feel better as a human in all aspects because I was able to work through that. But I still have fear and I have sadness. I'm done with anger, but I have fear and I have sadness. The fear is smaller and so is the sadness. It's like I'm shrinking them or something. You know, they're still there and sometimes they grow especially if I'm like in a, in a vulnerable state of mind or emotional state. Um, but overall they are tiny now compared to how they were. That is beautiful. I'm so yeah. happy for you. Jeanette, if you were to leave uh, the people of this podcast with one sentence, what would that be? Not even one sentence. Like what would be that one thing that you want to leave mm -hmm. people with? Oof, gosh. Okay. Oh, you know, I, I would say that, you know, even, I mean, I don't have children, so I don't, I don't want to sound insensitive, but even for busy parents or people who have a crazy life, if you can set aside 30 minutes to an hour every day to do you time, to do something that helps your spirit grow in any way, maybe one day you read for 30 minutes, a book like a new earth or the power of now by Eckhart Tolle or, um, the, you know, uh, how to win friends and influence people that book. Oh my gosh. You know, whatever it's, it's, it's amazing. I won't talk about it right now, but you know, or whether it's meditating or whether it's dancing around your house or whether it's laying in bed with your partner and just telling each other affirmations or things that you love about each other, going for a walk, going to sit by a tree, drinking your favorite tea or a glass of wine, like, just do taking a course, you know, a, a Mind Valley course, or watching some some TED talks or something like that. Uh, I really can't stress how important that is because not doing that, even when you don't need it, is like waiting for you to weigh three hundred pounds before you start going to the gym. Like, why would you wait to be so unhealthy and obese before you actually start doing something about it? Just just start now, just start now, even if it's just closing your eyes for 15 minutes and listening to the sounds of the trees and the breeze or something like that. I would say 
that. <laughs> awesome. Um, where can people find you? My Instagram is probably the place where I'm the most active. And that is spirit of Jeanette and Jeanette. It's J E A N N E T T E two N's two T's <laughs> longest way possible. Um, that's probably the best place to connect with me. Yeah. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show. You can go ahead and say your goodbyes in whatever way you want to the audience. And I'll do mine after yours. Go ahead. Okay. Well, Viv, thank you so much. It's it's almost, uh, it's humbling to be asked to share your story because my ego wants to say, why would anybody want to hear my story? Why does anybody care? But, you know, like I said in the beginning, this is how we relate to each other. And this is how we connect. It's through our experiences. And so um, I think it's so beautiful that you're doing this. I'm so grateful to you. I'm honored that you have me here. I admire you so much. I'm so glad to be connected with you. And um, I hope that something, even if it was one thing that I said tonight, will help somebody or connect or inspire with somebody. And um, yeah, just, just trusting that everything is as it should be. And lots of love. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your beautiful energy and vibe and being the beautiful you. You guys, you need to go check her Instagram to see what I'm talking about. Thank you so much, Jeanette. I really loved having you here. And thank you guys for listening. This was yet another episode of If I Did, You Can Too. Until next time, bye-bye.